welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Father Michael Kaiser. I freely admit to having a bias towards the Johannine literature, be it uh, John, the three epistles, Revelation, Revelation, the Apocalypse, whether it was written by John or disciples is not really the point. It has an elegance uh, to it, uh, a, a, a class, I think, that you know, some of the other writings in the New Testament do not have. Which, by the way, is why we have a set lectionary in the church, and that is to protect you from me. Because otherwise, the only thing you would hear read in church on Sunday would be something from John. With maybe just, you know, for fairness sake, throw in Luke, Mark, or Matthew occasionally, uh, just so they don't feel too bad. Uh, but I, I, I do like, and I like the epistles particularly. Now, this one starts off. Dearly beloved, marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. Well, that one we should have been able to figure out by now if we had been paying the slightest bit of attention. It has been estimated that there have been more martyrs for the church in the first years of the 21st century than in the last 2000. The reason for that being, of course, not that the enemy is particularly different, uh, but because the weapons are a whole lot better. Uh, we can blast people in the kingdom come now uh, without uh, giving it a second thought uh, or drive a van into a group that is not expecting it or whatever. It always amazes me the naivete that so many Christians have about our life in this world. You know, they don't believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. They believe the gospel of Bambi, in which everything is, you know, all the, all the furry animals are going to plow around the forest and, 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 you know, have fun and what have you. Until that forest fire comes, that, that made a few of them extra crispy. Uh, but still, you know, Jesus has told us over and over again. He said, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer you will overcome the world. And so when horrible things happen, particularly if they happen as the result of, of martyrdom or terrorism or something like that, people get back into this old question of, gee, where is God? If he existed, why wouldn't he stop it? Well, there's a very good reason why he wouldn't stop it. We don't really want him to stop it. And we're deluding ourselves if we say we do. He created us with freedom. He created us with free will. He loved us enough so that he created us with the ability to say, no, I don't want your love. In fact, I just as, be more than happy to just move out of the neighborhood. I don't want you around here. So great is God's love for us that he creates us with that ability. Because a love which is forced 
a love which we are required to give is not love. It's not love at all. So God hardwired into the creation the ability for the creation to reject him. Now that's a God of mercy and that's a God of love. But we forget that when somebody blows up something in London or in America or in the Philippines or whatever and, you know, start, you know, or well, how come God didn't stop it? Well, the reason God didn't stop it is that 10 minutes after he did, we'd start whining about his crypto-fascist tendencies to control our lives and why won't he let us be free and do what we want? There's no way God can win this. I mean, there's simply no way he can win in terms of our particular responses. So he starts off by saying, do not marvel, brethren, uh, brethren that my, the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. Now that's, at least on first reading, I think an odd statement. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. Well, that's why what I just told you, a love that is required of us is not a life-giving love. It's not a free love. You know, when I, I do marriage counseling, for all the good that does, but when I do marriage counseling with people who are planning on trying to share their lives together, and I will say this at the wedding, which doesn't make me any more popular, I will tell them, you two are not in love with each other. You two are not in love with each other. You are very heavily in like. We imagine there's some eroticism involved or the prayers we're saying over oh, you don't make a whole lot of sense, but you don't love each other because you don't know each other. Love takes knowledge and knowledge takes time. You have to find out who the person is you're marrying. Because all through the engagement, we hide behind masks. You know, it's like going to a masquerade party. Try to figure out who I am before you marry me. We live behind masks. And in fact, even after we're married, we hide behind those masks. Because we're afraid if the person realizes who he or she did marry, it might be all over. We're afraid. We're scared to death. that our husband or wife, you know, might find out that, that we have a temper or we get grumpy or we get down. My wife was amazed when I tried to ritually disembowel a Volkswagen on our honeymoon because it wouldn't start. You know, I'm trying to rip the gear shift out of the thing, you know. I would never have allowed me to do that before we were married. So gradually, as the masks begin to slip, 
you come to find out who you have married. And then you got to make the decision. Do I really want to stay with this person or not? That's why the one of the, not the sole reason, but it's one of the reasons that the divorce rate in this country is so incredibly high. We don't know the person we are marrying. And once we find out, we decide we don't like them. We don't like them. And then what do we do? Well, if we've had kids, we can do the, oh, well, we'll stick it together for the sake of the kids. Not something I ever recommend, by the way, but, you know, I mean, we can do that. Or, well, we're here and we don't really hate each other, you know, and you know, the cooking is decent. And we both kind of like the same TV program, so we'll stay together, but the marriage itself is dead. Marriage itself is absolutely dead. And we go on and, you know, eventually we'll die and people will come together and say, oh, they loved each other so, each other so much, yeah. which is simply nonsense. What is true of people is true of God. You don't come out of the baptismal font loving God. You have to be trained up in the wisdom and fear of the Lord. You have to be taught by God. You have to be given examples by your parents. You have to be taught what it mean, who God is, what it means to be in God, and what it means particularly for God to love us. Now, I admit, trying to explain to a five-year-old that God loves him so much that he can do bad things so his parents can punish him is probably going to be a difficult one. Uh, but it is true. You know. So he goes on and he says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren, because not to love is death. Not to love is death. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death, because love is the source of life. God's love is the source of our life. God's love existed before ours. And his love comes to us first. Why did God make us? Why did God create this? I mean, if he just wanted to hang out somewhere, he could have made a Legoland up there somewhere and gone in and out of there. You know, I mean, or a Disney World or whatever. But instead, he creates a world, and those of us who populate it, out of love. No other reason. There are people who say, well, God needed to have people to worship him. Excuse me? The Son worships him, the Spirit worships him. I mean, they're three in one, one and three. They share the same divinity. They share the same name. I mean, come on. He needed us to worship him. He needed us like a hole in the head. At least the Son of the Spirit do what they're told. But no, we've got to get out there and, and, and push the envelope on this free will thing and see just how far uh, we can take it. So God creates not because he needs an audience. 
He's got the Son, he's got the Spirit, he's got thrones, dominions, angels, archangels. He's got an audience. He didn't need us for that. He created us to have someone to share his love with. And to love him back. On those rare occasions when we get around to actually doing that. So God first loves us and creates us and makes us and shapes us and breathes the, the, the soul of life, the nefesh, into us. And then this relationship starts in which we can have a relationship with him. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. You know, he's already referred to here that whoever his brother hates his brother is a murderer. And that refers to both outer and inner feelings. You don't have to rock, hit somebody with a rock to murder them. You can murder them with gossip. You can murder them with malicious feelings. As far as God is concerned, it's the same thing. As if you hit him and knocked him out. And so God is going to judge you on the basis of those interior thoughts, those interior, you know, the interior maliciousness that we so often carry around with us. Not just because we took a nine iron and, you know, did a hole in one with your mother-in-law's head. No, it's the thought of taking the nine iron. That is bad. That's why Jesus says, if you even look at a woman and lust after her, you have committed adultery. Not you might. You have. If you call your brother, it in, in Hebrew is raka, and it means fool. Majdub in Arabic. You're, you're a moron. You've committed murder. And you yourself will be in danger of hellfire. It's what comes out of here, out of our heart, out of our soul, our news. That for most of us is going to get us at the judgment. Because chances are comparatively few of us are going to kill somebody. Chances are that's not going to happen to most of us. But oh boy, we've thought about doing it over and over. And unless repented of, and unless confessed, and unless offered to God and forgiven by God, it's going to nail us at the last judgment. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren, he says. Now, again, the chances of you and I saying, no, don't kill him, kill me instead, is limited. Probably not going to happen, although you never know. Yeah. If you're living in some parts of the world, that can happen rather frequently. Uh, what he means by that is all of our life. And all of our life includes our ego, our desires, our wants, our needs. How many are married? I'm married. You're married. Anybody married? Okay. 
you know perfectly well what it's like to lay down your ego. It's a death. It's a killing of yourself. We believe as Orthodox Christians that marriage is hierarchical, the father is head of the house, yada, yada, yada. Father is head, wife is neck, as is said in my uh, big fat Greek wedding. But the fact of the matter is that the fact that you stand at the head of the family does not give you the wish you do what you want. It simply doesn't. You're not the sheik in the tent. You're where the last, the buck stops. That's the last place the buck stops. And if anybody's going to get nailed for a bad decision by God, it's probably going to be you. But my wife and I, uh, before she got the dementia, when she could still reason, had a rule. No matter how much you know, I wanted that Jeff Pat lawnmower that could do an acre in a minute and a half. I would not buy it unless we agreed on it. And if we did not agree on it, we backed off. Yeah. And I could start working on you a minute and a half. Good God, I could spend much more time with you. you know, that sort of thing. Uh, so it didn't mean I got the right to run the family. We would talk, we would think, we would pray. And then we'd come back to it, and maybe both perspectives had changed, and we would come to something else. So it's often our own desire, our own ego, that sets us off and kills the love that we're supposed to have. First church I went to hadn't been in organized existence for years. It had fallen on hard times and crashed and burned. And we were, in the, they wanted to get started again. And uh, they said, well, you know, Kaiser can't make it much worse. Let's send him, you know, so they did. And we had our first meeting and the Archbishop came to the first meeting. And I had gone, I, they had never had a budget. Nothing. You know, I had I had sat and I'd worked out this budget, you know, and I'm not a whiz with numbers myself. I freely admit that. And we start getting into this thing about this budget, and there, there's somebody's criticizing this, and somebody's criticizing it. Even the archbishop said something, and I'm sitting there just 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 getting royally steamed. Not because they were necessarily wrong, because it was my budget that they were disagreeing with. The numbers I had worked on, et cetera, et cetera, they were rejecting my budget. And obviously, since they were rejecting my budget, they were re rejecting me. You know. So when we say give up our life, we mean give up all those demands we want other people to follow. And only then can we say that we are loving them. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, 
but in deed and in truth. And that's why I think I put in the topic of the sermon would be stop talking about it. We live in a world in which for a cause people will kill other people because they have a different cause. And this is not new. It's been going on probably since Cain conked Abel. But the fact is uh, that uh, it's getting worse, and it's getting worse mainly because uh, the weapons are getting worse. You know, people die. I mean, martyrs are created for the church every day. In the Philippines, in Syria, you know, in Egypt, in South America, in South Africa. People are dying by the hundreds and sometimes by the thousands. Yeah. And sometimes that has to be responded to. A very interesting man, his name was Diedrich Bonhoeffer. I don't know if any of you know who he is. Diedrich Bonhoeffer was a German theologian in the 1930s. And he abhorred Hitler, and he was a pacifist. That Bonhoeffer was. Hitler wasn't. And he, was, he finally got pulled into one of the plots to assassinate Adolf Hitler. There were 43 attempts to kill Hitler. Every single one of them failed. But there were 43, and he got pulled into this. Not, not, he was, it was, he was peripheral. I mean, he wasn't, you know, the guy who was going to do it. And that was the one that, you know, the movie Valkyrie that Tom Cruise was in. They blew the place up. It didn't kill him. I mean, if anybody had the devil's own protection, it was this man. And so they arrested people, including Bonhoeffer. And he's in prison. It's a book called Letters and Papers from Prison, which is good. And he said, you know what the biggest thing, the biggest problem is? Stupidity. It's not evil, because you can point out evil. You can oppose evil. And if necessary, and this is a pacifist speaking, by force you can destroy evil. He recognized at that point that this sort of thing wasn't going to go away because we held hands and sang Kumbaya. And so often we find ourselves in the situation where tragically we may have to fight and kill to defend ourselves, our families, our, 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 our other Christians, whatever. But we have to love in deed and in truth when we love, and that means in actual actions. It's all very nice, and I take no side on this, so you don't go out offended. It's all very nice for our politicians to sit around and say, no, this plan will work, that plan will work, this plan has no chance, and Hades are working, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. When was the last time you saw one of them working at a soup kitchen? Or a home for unwed mothers? When was the last time you saw anybody do anything except yap? 
about how much help the poor and the downtrodden all this needs. Well, this is what John is saying here. He says, you have to do it practically. You have to get out there and do something. Philosophizing doesn't feed anyone. Philosophizing doesn't clothe anyone. Only love, and only a love which is willing to put our ego aside and accept the fact that God loved us enough to let his son die. Only that love will bring transformation. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.